This is Wolves Radio. Hello there, I'm Mikey Burrows. Welcome to an episode of Wolves Weekly for Wolves Radio. Joining me on this episode is the Athletics Wolves correspondent Tim Spears. How are you, my friend? All the better for seeing you, Mikey. Oh, you are too kind, too kind. I am, I am. Because <laughs> yeah, I know you don't truly mean that. Like that. <laughs> um, we've got a lot to try and get through uh, on this episode. We want to talk a little bit about Adama Traore and kind of maybe the evolution of his role within the team. And we'll talk about the defence as a unit as well. But let's start with Brighton the other night because it felt him like, I don't know whether you saw kind of Bruno Large's reaction at the final whistle and the way he went on the pitch and over towards the fans. It felt like that result and maybe elements of the performance meant an awful lot to him. Yeah, well, yeah, he's been talking about the fixtures a lot. And if you if you look at the games that Wolves have had before Brighton and after Brighton, they had to target that game um, to win. There, there are not going to be too many um, three points sort of handed to them around this period. You know, when you're playing Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Man United and Arsenal in a seven-game run, then you've got to target Brighton away when they've got 10 players out and when they've not won in 10. Um, that's why I was sort of, I was really disappointed with the first half because I thought Wolves would really target it in an attacking sense. Um, we saw that at the start of the second half, a quite phenomenal 10-minute uh, period, which unfortunately yielded no goals, but, you know, uh, they were really trying to kill the game off at that point. So, yeah, ju- just just purely on the fixtures, you know, you can say game by game, you can say we take every game as it comes and treat all the opposition the same, but in reality, like I said, when you're playing uh, Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea um, as three of four games, then the other game, like I said, certainly the circumstances in which Brighton are in, you've got to approach it as, as a very winnable game. And um and obviously you, you could see you could see the relief at the end. Uh, not 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 that there was much relief needed, you know, after that last half an hour. I thought that I thought they they strolled through it to be honest. It was cigar and slippers time. They were they defended phenomenally for the last half an hour. I was so impressed. Do you think there's almost two elements to the way they played in that first half? One being maybe a bit of a hangover from the way they'd had to play or they'd chosen to play against Liverpool and Man City. And the other obviously being no Raul Jimenez and, and the kind of the, the efforts they made to try and accommodate the three that they chose that maybe didn't quite work. And then obviously He Chan Huang went off early and, and eventually they kind of grew into it, it felt. Yeah, and also, you know, you've got disruption. You've got an injury in the warm-up and then you've got an injury after, what was it, 10 minutes to Huang. So, yeah, plus plus tiredness. I'd imagine that's why Traore didn't start. You know, you need him at full energy. Um, You wanted to try something different up front. I know they beat Villa away in the only other game that Raul Jimenez hasn't started this season, but they didn't play very well for the majority of that game. Um, hence why the the late comeback at Villa was so miraculous because nobody saw it come in. But they really struggled without Jimenez that day, and I think they did struggle without that focal point um, at Brighton. And um, they looked good on the counter, but when it came to Brighton, you know, sitting in their shape and Wolves trying to play through them, they did struggle without without Jimenez as as a sort of focal point. But it's interesting to hear Bruno talk after the game that um, he was kind of considering starting Fabio Silva but didn't really want to put him up against um, Brighton's physical centre-halves as a sort of a, a reference point for them to easily sort of bounce off him. Um, so yeah, it, it's um, when you're trying to implement a new forward line with not much training 
um, and players who haven't played very much recently, then it's not going to flow from minute one. And yeah, Huang, Pedence and Trincao sort of inter- interchanging. Um, it wasn't really working at first. I thought Brighton dealt with Wolves pretty well. Um, but goals changed games and that one on the stroke at half time. It seems to really knock the stuffing out of Brighton. I was expecting a reaction from them in the second half, but Wolves didn't really get one. Um, so yeah, in, in for, for, lar- for large spells, it was the perfect away performance. They counter-attacked really well. They defended really well. Well, and and they got the goal. Yeah, and let's talk about the goal because uh, you kind of coined the phrase, phrase a few years ago of filth that kind of came from Ruben Neves, and it was unbelievable. I mean, there are so many people that would never even think to try and attempt that pass. I, I described it in commentary as just genius, and it, it's when there's a, a, a screen grab of it, and you can see that Romain Saiz is pretty much the only person in the penalty area whose body shape is anticipating anything like that comes from Neves. You can even hear on the commentary, Tomo is shouting for him to shoot with his left foot, and then he produces that pass. It was unbelievable. Don't listen to Tomo is the lesson <laughs> of the story. And uh, and don't listen to the crowd as well, I think is a bit of a moral to the story of, of Neves this season. Um, he's done a few of those. He did, um, he did it at Villa away when it was a more obvious pass um, clipped over the defence to Pedence again from a cleared corner which leads to a goal and that was that a great execution there but that was more obvious like I said the, the Sace one I mean no one else can see that Sace can barely see it um, and then of course he did it in that recent home game I'll forget the opposition but you'll remember because you've got such a good memory when um, he was being urged to shoot from 25 yards and it looked like he scuffed it West Ham um, I thought he scuffed it <laughs> but as soon as you see one replay and you see where his eyes are, it's clearly an incredible sliced pass out to the cor- near yeah. the corner flag for Matinho. So what he's doing this season is things that he was doing in the championship season for me, and he's come to the to um, a really um, to come to the forefront of this midfield in a more attacking sense and and in, in terms of vision and creativity and passing. And, you know, he's, he's sort of sacrificed himself for the team, really, the last few years and played a more defensive role. He's been very good at that and, and, and screens in front of the back three very well. And his tackling numbers are great. And he's matured a lot as well. But we really miss that old... Well, I've really missed that old Neves um, of splitting defences, you know, with passes in the final third. So it, it, it was a moment of genius. I didn't see it coming. No one else in the stadium saw it, really saw it coming. Like I said, Romain Saiz didn't see it coming. Um, but he's reacted brilliantly with a gorgeous little finish, the the Maldini of Morocco, um, who I think only Neves and Jimenez have scored more goals since the start of last season than Romain Saiz for Wolves. He's like got four or five. He's like third in the list for the last 18 months. So yeah, um, stick him up front, Mikey. Stick him up front. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about his defensive duties in a minute. Uh, just on Ruben Neves, it's a funny one because uh, I look at him and it, it, it feels... Or it looks like his body shape is different this year now I'm told he's actually leaner but you you sometimes when you look at a Premier League midfielder I remember I think it was Andre Gomez for Everton a few years ago who came on you kind of look at at the way they are in terms of big barrel chested kind of physical can get around and can dominate the midfield it feels like Neves now who is what 24 has has had that just physical development that enables him to control a midfield a little bit more 
Yeah, I think that's that's been important because he's he's he. If there's one thing he has lacked, it, it's it's his physical attributes. You know, he's not he's not the quickest, and he's not the most athletic, and he hasn't been the most physical. I think that's why um, you know big big clubs haven't really come in for him in a very strong way. I think we all expected after watching him in the Championship and then watching him take his game on in the Premier League in that first season. I didn't expect him to stay at the club for very long. You know, he's um, he's an extremely special football player who could easily play in Man City's midfield, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but but that 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 move has never happened. He's now in his fifth year at Wolves, which is incredible, and would, again would never have predicted that when he joined. Um, same with Matinho into his fourth season now as he with Wolves. Again, never would have predicted that when they joined. Um, but Neves has started to evolve and he has he has to in a, phys- in a physical sense because he hasn't shone as one of the best midfielders in the Premier League um, in his opening seasons in the league but he, he is starting to do that now he's Wolves' best midfielder this season um, he's playing in a more advanced role he's doing more pressing he's doing more sprints he's more crosses um, he's doing a lot more things in the final third that he hasn't done in the Premier League before so uh, Bruno Large has obviously identified him as someone that can do that and at the moment he's doing it really well also, I wonder how much he's benefiting from a very stable and well-organised defensive unit that is playing behind him and Giammatinho or Leander Dendonka, whoever gets the nod in that midfield. Max Kilman rightly, has got a, a huge amount of plaudits. He's been absolutely unbelievable. For me, the player of the season so far, I mean, when you look at what he did at Man City in the last minutes, I mean, he was so tired trying to run back after that. It was untrue, but it was an unbelievable piece of play and his defensive work he made one mistake I think on Wednesday night and immediately rectified it himself his his development has just gone stratospheric in the last couple of months but as we mentioned Romain says and we give a nod to Connor Cody and I guess you throw in the wing backs and football purists will say oh you defend from the front and everything but that unit as a back three first of all or four if you include Jose Sarr have just been absolutely superb. And even when you count Man City and Liverpool, yes, they lost those games, but you saw with what happened to Leeds at Man City, and then you go back and say, well, it's not as if Man City could have scored seven against Wolves. Wolves were just so good defensively, so well organised. Yeah, but Leeds Leeds were Leeds played better, according to Pep Guardiola, <laughs> you know. They, they should be proud of themselves. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Pep. Uh, people might have seen, but Pep basically said, "Oh, Wolves didn't want to play." He was very disingenuous after the game. If Nuno was, if Nuno was manager, I don't think he'd have been like that because he got, he was friends with Nuno. But I, f- I felt like, yeah, he took a bit of a swipe at Bruno Lage's tactics at, um, during that one nil defeat to one of the best teams in the world with ten men. <laughs> um, Wolves dared to try and defend <laughs> for most of the game, um, and then when when they beat Leeds seven nil, he was saying how oh, what a great team they are, how they how they play with such pride. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was ridiculous. And I pointed that out on, on Twitter, and I, I, I think I, I'm told Bruno might have seen that and had. A little chuckle to himself um so yeah ridiculous um 
For the fact, Kilman's header at Man City was was Wolves' current uh, goal of the month contender before uh, they finally scored um, the other night. Um, sorry, yeah, the defence. No, they've been ridiculous. They can do it in their sleep. And I think, um, you know, the foundations for this have, have been laid years ago, let's be honest. It's the same formation that Wolves have used in the main for a long time. It's um, m- most of the same personnel, certainly the same personnel that were at the club last season. Um, and um, and I think you can tell that you can tell that and I noticed that in pre-season and in, in the early games of the season when Wolves were trying to attack more with a more of a high line and a high press and a high intensity but they could easily slip back into that unit um, of defending so well I think I think we discussed this in pre-season actually when they when they experimented with four at the back sometimes and they just look so much more comfortable when they're playing three slash five at the back um, but they have taken it on this season their defensive record is the best it's ever been in the Premier League at the moment um, they're fourth in the league uh, for goals conceded um, they've conceded in their last seven is only four games in the last seven I think um, or only two in the last six with four clean sheets they took Liverpool to the 95th minute which no one else has done this season you know the, the, we know the controversy of that penalty at Man City it's ridiculous how well they're defending and you can go through them all individually I think Nelson Semedo has added consistency and, and a bit more common sense to his game this year which you know we all hoped he'd do in his in his second season after, after what, what must have been a really tough year to come in you know for any for any any well anyone who joined the club but certainly coming from overseas into a pandemic with no fans um, so I really had sympathy for him last season but he's yeah he's he's added a lot of common sense to his game this season and he's very very rarely beaten Nori, we've seen the defensive improvements in him um, I thought Marcel came in and did a really good job the other night considering he's not played in two months and then you go through the back line Kilman I mean it goes without saying but yeah he's 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 one of the most assured defenders I've ever seen in a Wolf shirt. And um, he's so confident and so relaxed uh, 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 in high-pressure situations. And that's going to bode so well for him for the rest of his career. So he's um, started the season a little bit dodgy. And you think as soon as Willie Bolly's fit, he'll be dropped. But he's actually really taken his game on in the past couple of months. And yes, he's got the odd lapse of a stray pass. But in the whole, he's been brilliant at the um, the dirty defensive side, I'd say. Um, and then Connor Cody, for me, Mikey, is um, in the best form of his Wolves career right now. And um, you know the one weakness you could you could throw at Connor is that he struggled against physical strikers in the past, and we've seen players like Mitrovic give him always give him problems. Antonio would always yeah, give him problems. Chris Chris Wood scored a hat trick, you know, against him last season, and again was another example. And yet he's come up against the same players this year. I think Antonio was subbed. I think Chris Wood was subbed definitely. Um, but the, but he nullified the threat of both of them. He's been more aggressive. I think that's the difference. And um, Bruno Lars talked about duels a lot and winning your individual battles and being first to the ball. Um, and he's been great at that, while still keeping the rest of his the levels for the rest of his attributes very high. Helped behind him, like they've all been helped by Jose Sarr and his um, keeper sweeping style, his aggression as well. I think that's helped Cody. Um, um, it restricts that space between the two, and um, yeah, they've all been they've all been great individually and as a unit, they've been phenomenal. 
Yeah, and it, it, obviously everybody's raising the question of uh, the African Cup of Nations. Uh, there's one question I have for you from Billy, who says, if we don't sign a centre-half, who's most likely to cover for Saïs during that tournament? Now, obviously, there, at the moment, given the way the world is, there is a, a question mark over it. I'm, I think I saw a statement where they were seeming to, to suggest that it would still happen, but... Obviously, that does come with an asterisk next to it for the time being. But there is that kind of looming element coming in January where there might not be Bolly and Saez for a couple of weeks. Yeah, there is, I mean, so much, so much up in the air. We don't even know if, if there's going to be Premier League football at that time, you know, at the moment, let alone um, let alone Africa. We, we've got to, yeah, it, Wolves have got a plan for it going ahead, obviously, and they've known this for a while. I think if it, if, if, um, if it happened tomorrow... Um, and Wolves playing Chelsea on Sunday, they just dropped Endonka back into defence. You know, he's he's played I think more than thirty games for Wolves in that position, so that's 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 no sort of crisis or emergency. Um, the issue then comes in midfield if you're asking Jan Martino to play against Watford and um, Arsenal, for example. I mean that won't happen because Saez will still be here for Watford. Um, but if you're asking someone like Martino to play twice in three or four days, can he do that? You'd, ne- you'd then need Don- Donka in midfield. So maybe you put Marcel at left centre back. But if if Ait Nor is struggling with injury, then you'll need him at left wing back. So there's all there's all these kind of um, connotations and conundrums for Wolves to go through. But at the end of the day, Mikey, um, these guys might only miss two or three Premier League games. Mm. Um, the January fixture list is kind. There'll, there'll be there'll be an FA Cup game. There's a weekend off for an international uh, a, a bonus international break at the end of January when I think everyone everyone except your European nations are playing. So Jimenez and, and Huang will be off. Um, everyone else is playing except for Europe so there's an international break anyway at the end of January and then there's another round of FA Cup games at the start of February so they might only miss a couple of Premier League games um, and Willy Bolly hasn't played a minute in the Premier League this season so Wolves aren't going to miss him necessarily they're going to miss Saiz and at the moment Dendonka would drop back and I think that they'll look at recalling Dion Sanderson but they'll only do that as a last resort because you don't want to disrupt a player who's having a fantastic season in the championship. Um, of course, there's a possibility he can come back and go out on loan again. But I, th- I think they'll they'll do that reluctantly. They won't just want to bring Dion back to sit on the bench when they've got people like Hoover and Marcel and Dendonka who can who can cover. So there's no yes or no answer it's a fluid situation but I don't think they're going to go out they're not going to go out and spend a lot of money on a player when Saiz might only miss two Premier League games yeah and I think as we've said on Match Day Live Extra this season that element of needing to spend 25 million or so on a central defender may have gone in the element of you now have Max Kilman, who if you were going to go and try and sign him now would cost probably in that kind of range and has been such yeah, a standout point. player throughout the the whole of the season so far. Um, we mentioned COVID. Matt is one of those who's been asking about the likelihood of the game going on on Sunday. We know there's been, what, five now Premier League games that have been postponed. It is obviously a, an ever-changing situation. But I know you were speaking to Bruno the other day about Wolves' COVID status because I, I, I think we might be the only Premier League club who have everybody, players and staff, double-jabbed. Um, they certainly were. I know Leeds, Leeds of an, another club have been very good on that, so I don't know the exact statistic, but yeah, they've been double jab for a while. 
um, and they're very proud of it and they don't really see the fuss in why other clubs have really been struggling because um, they just got it done. The, 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 the second jabs, I think they all went together. Uh, it was it was a team outing uh, to the doctors um, and they just all got jabbed. And uh, it's 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 not just a case of um, of saying, right, let's do this and go. It comes from, from a culture within the club, um, which was there anyway, but was certainly heightened when the pandemic started with the trust placed in Dr. Matthew Perry. And, and and Jeff G as well, you know, the way that they handled the start of the pandemic was one of the first clubs to sort of close down. The players were very, very well looked after. They all felt very safe. And that culture, which, you know, instigated by Dr. Matt Perry, means that when it then comes to getting jabbed, they just trust what he says and they'll just they'll just do what he says. Um, helped by the, the squad and the kind of men and players that they are. And Connor Cody obviously leads that. But basically they just said, we're going to get jabbed and they've got jabbed. So there's no the, what 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 you don't want to do with you know we, we could talk about this for hours it's such a big debate but what you don't want to do is tell Premier League footballers uh you know get jabbed if you want um this is what you do if you want to make an appointment you know footballers don't make appointments and and, yeah. and pop pop along to the GP on a Monday afternoon you just you sort it out for them and you tell them look this is this is going to be for your benefit and you get it done so Wolves are taking a very sensible approach and there's absolutely no no uh co- it, it, it's not a coincidence that they're the only possibly the only fully jab squad and as of Wednesday they had absolutely no Covid cases so I think players elsewhere across the Premier League have been selfish uh, to be honest in not getting this done and it's it's now costing um, a lot of Premier League games It's my understanding on that basis as well that um, it was the club who who sorted it and most likely paid for it? So it wasn't that they were taking jabs away from from other people at the time when the players absolutely, had them, yeah, absolutely, they, yeah. they wouldn't have been technically eligible under the NHS rules. That it was organised by the club. The club conduct a lot of their own PCR testing on the same basis. They have really expanded the medical department over the last couple of months to be able to cope with that kind of setup as well. So again, all credit to to Dr. Matt Perry and to Dr. Rob Chakraverty, who's now, of course, leading that department as well. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We will keep an eye on all of that situation. Wolves have had a couple of cases in the last couple of weeks, but as far as we know, touch wood at the moment, everyone is okay. Um, Just a a quick word before we finish on uh, your article on Adama Traore, um, based on the other night. It's been really interesting. you read it, did you? you oh, don't, well, don't, don't I, I kind of skimmed the headline. Because, <laughs> uh, but it was something I was thinking about uh, and chatting a little bit with Tomo and Claire after the game on Wednesday. Because I, I genuinely, I, I felt like there was a little bit too much criticism of Adama for not passing to Raúl Jiménez the other week when clean through and he hit the crossbar, and then. Uh, you look at him the other night and it's clearly been something that's been weighing on his mind about playing the right ball at the right time and making that right decision and actually uh, I, I, I'm sure you agree I think he got it pretty much spot on all the way through the night I tell you, I, he comes in for so much so much criticism the, the standards that people have of him are way higher than for the rest of the squad and for the rest of the forwards you know Daniel Pedence and Francisco Trincao spurned really good opportunities which were both laid on by Adama Traore at Brighton on Wednesday and I saw no sort of criticism or anger directed at them and you know rightly so you know they're not missed on purpose but you know if that was Traore 
18 yards out and shooting straight at the keeper they'd have had they'd have had the pitchforks out you know because because he promises or or, or sort of, yes because he sort of promises so much with his pace and with his strength and with this exp- astonishing explosive ability to take players on people expect he'll score at the end of it you know if he did that he'd be he'd be in the top five players in the world you know if he beat four players at the drop of a hat and then scored at the end of it in every game <laughs> you know you wouldn't be playing for Wolves for start, for starters and, and I know he needs to make improvements but but people just expect too much of him and there's too much criticism and and people think people think Mikey that he doesn't work hard which I find astonishing and you know the the replies to the to the article that you that you mentioned that I wrote this week there were a lot of people, not just one or two, a lot that replied saying, I thought he was lazy at Brighton. And I just find that astonishing. Um, he's not lazy. He works incredibly hard. We know he works incredibly hard on the training ground. He's a very sort of erudite, hardworking individual. And if there are times when he's not sprinting around the pitch, maybe it's something to do with the fact that he's saving himself, saving his energy, so that he can do those bursts, which means he can take on any player in the entire Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? So he can't do that and then and then press at 100 miles an hour for the rest of the game because he would he'd, he'd pass out. He'd be too tired. So, but yes, in, in as to your original point, I think we are seeing a bit of an evolution in his game. Um, I've really noticed him pressing hard in the last couple of matches. Previously, he'd been the second lowest or third lowest presser in the league in terms of forwards behind Ronaldo and Sir Maximan, who were the lowest pressers in the Premier League. Troyer was third. Um, but since, since then, um, since a couple of weeks ago, he's been pressing a lot. I really noticed it against Liverpool and Man City and checked out the numbers. And yes, it's, it's more than he's pressed this season. And then I think against Brighton, we really saw him, as you, as you mentioned, his decision-making, slowing down the game, slowing himself down and seeing what options are available to him on the counter-attack. Um, the, the, the two opportunities I mentioned, Trincao and Pedence, but there was another one which I pointed out in the article where he sort of had his back to goal 20 yards out and stops and picks out Semedo on the right with a fantastic pass and then Semedo put it across the six-yard box and unfortunately there was no one there to tap it home. So th- this is what Bruno wants from him. He wants him to play on the left. He wants him to, to play between the lines and he doesn't want him to just run into the nearest empty patch of grass, which he has had a tendency to do in the past because he's extremely good at it. Mm. So he's thinking more about of his role as a, as a team player now. That's exactly what, what Wolves want from him as long as they don't take away that explosiveness, which, which I don't think they will. So yeah, credit to him. There's going to be lots of conversations about Adama moving forwards. Uh, we will save it for another day on the element of um, if, if Raul wasn't available for whatever reason, then uh, Adama may be a legitimate candidate to play as a central striker. That could be a one moving forward. So I just want to quickly give credit to the under-23s who have had a really tough spell of fixtures, came up against some of the best under-23 teams that they can face. And after heavy defeats at home to Norwich and away to the league leaders Fulham, who uh, it's a, there's a thing about under-23s football, and you watch a lot of it, Tim, as well, in that some teams go about it in different ways. And Fulham are one of those who have kind of kept hold of a lot of their players who are 20 plus 
and gone for it in terms of the Premier League 2 this season. Leeds did it last year. Wolves have always had the basis over the last couple of years of it is about developing young players and challenging players from a younger age to make that step up. Uh, we've seen 16-year-old Nathan Fraser getting opportunities in the last couple of games. I, I've been speaking to you, Tim, about him. I, I really rate him, and it's a fascinating story, actually. He's from Technol. He's been working with Darius Vassell really strongly for the last couple of seasons and has kind of leapfrogged a couple of players to get that chance. And they went down to West Ham on Monday, and West Ham are arguably the best under-23 team in the country right now. They are top of Premier League 2 Division 1. Six of the players involved on Monday were involved in the Europa League the week before, whereas the same number of Wolves players were involved in the FA Youth Cup the day before. So that just shows you the kind of the gulf. And there was a big gulf in size, physicality, which is massive at under-23 level, because you've got 18-year-olds playing against 22-year-olds. It is huge. And yet Wolves were superb. Hugo Bueno put in a great performance in that game. And it's noticeable because Ryan Nori obviously picking up the injury at Brighton. He's been on the bench a couple of times. If he's called upon again at the weekend, he was in sparkling form, Tim, driving forwards. It really was impressive for him. Defensively, they were really good. I want to give a shout out to Ollie Tipton, who captained the team who's again another local boy who's been a captain of the under-18s. He's a penalty king that we won't mention the FA Youth Cup. And it was real. And I could tell when I spoke to him afterwards, actually what it meant to him to captain another age group of, of the club that he loves. So that was lovely. And it was, a, it was, a, it was nil-nil in the end, but Wolves had two goals disallowed for offside. They hit the crossbar and would work. It was, it was a really good, solid performance. Um, just before we go... I've uh, got one question uh, that's come from Matty on social media that says, when is the drunkest you've seen Tim? Now, uh, actually, Tim is an absolute... Who asks that? Tim, Tim is an absolute Matty. consummate professional. So, uh, I mean, I have seen him drunk, but not in any work capacity. But I wanted to mention this, right? So, um, Tim knows this. So, at Brighton, the media parking that we're in was a long, long, long way from the stadium. And it was quite kind of a dark pathway to to get back after the game, kind of dimly lit, just past the train station. And I'm walking along there, Tim, at the end, and there are yeah. two guys in front of me who are, shall we say, they've had a very good evening. Yeah. But obviously, it's a you know we're away, so I, I don't know who they are. And one of them had a very strong Southern accent, and they kind of kept stopping and looking around. And I kind of th- you know you start to feel a bit uncomfortable. And I'm a big guy, but you know I'm carrying a lot of expensive equipment. It, it was I'm wearing a wolf's coat, so I'm walking along, and this guy starts chatting to me, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, blah blah blah, like what you know, you long walk and all this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, uh, he says, so are you? Well, you'll laugh at this. He said to me first. Of he said, are you part of the coaching staff? <laughs> that happens all the time. Yeah. I was like, uh, no, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm media. And he said, oh, he said, uh, you'll probably know Mikey Burrows. <laughs> Here we go. And I didn't say anything. Brilliant. And he said, uh, he said, oh, yeah, he said, uh, he said, I listen to him a lot of the time. Like, he's a good guy, him. Like, I like his commentary and stuff. I know there's people who don't. And he was like, I like his commentary. And he, was, he basically waxed lyrical for about two minutes. And eventually I went, you know I'm Mikey Burrows, don't you? And he looked at me and he went, oh my God, I am so drunk. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, lo- I loved it. I loved it. What a guy. 
I mean, I mean, he claims he listens to you a lot, but then when he when he's hearing you talking face to face, doesn't yeah. quite recognise the Well, voice. let's just say he very much enjoyed himself down on the south coast. They were walking from the stadium to back to the city centre, which is quite You're a kidding. way. It's like a ten minute drive. Yeah, and uh, their plan was to try and get to a nightclub before it closed at two a.m., which uh, just tells you all you need to know about that trip. If you are that fan, please get in touch at Mikey Burrows on Twitter. I would love to to hear from you and hear what happened for the rest of your night. Um, but yeah, hopefully there are going to be some uh, more enjoyable matches and people enjoying themselves. You know, please drink I thought, responsibly. I thought, I thought you were going to say, hopefully there's going to be more absolute drunkheads at the Chelsea game on Sunday. Well, please drink responsibly. You don't need alcohol to enjoy yourself, kids. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully uh, people will be very happy and in a good mood over this festive period. Um, thank you very much, Tim. I will see you on Sunday at Molyneux as we build up to uh, Chelsea, which hopefully will be a pretty tough game. Actually, quick word on that, because Chelsea uh, have been a little dip in form recently, so maybe a chance that they'll try and kind of, well, they need to get back to winning ways to stay in that title race. Yeah, quite quite a serious dip in form compared to where they were. I mean, sort of drawing with Burnley, scraped past Leeds, drew with Everton on Thursday night. Um, four players out at least with COVID um, on on for that game on Thursday night, and maybe a fifth because I think someone else was out uh, with uh, illness. Um, so yeah, miss, missing key players. You know, we'll we'll hope that they don't contract any more COVID cases and that, and that the game goes ahead. Um, but certainly an opportunity. Um, to take something from the game um, you know Wolves, Wolves push Liverpool and Man City all the way we know how well they can defend at the moment we know that they can carry that threat on the break and if you've got a front three of Traore Jimenez and Pedence that they'll, 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 they'll cause them problems they will they definitely will so um, they'll go there confident on the back of that Brighton win confident that they can shut Chelsea out and if they can get a goal at the other end then hopefully um, a repeat of, of last season's um, fantastic win yeah I was going to say happy memories of a similar time of year as well last yeah, year when yeah. Wolves turned it around and Pedro Neto in the last minute got the win hopefully history repeats itself uh, it'll be a good game I'm sure join us for match day live extra half an hour before kickoff Tim thank you very much have a good week cheers Mikey you too